this book mm-hmm. is generating millions of dollars in sales for my business. And so I just believe that a book is the best way to grow your impact, your income and your business if you have one. And it's a way to do work once you you do that work, you put it into a book and then that book goes on to impact thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people. And more importantly, maybe for the business minded people <laughs> is that it brings back sales, leads and referrals, right? It's a million dollar business card. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast, the show that helps you get rich, happy, successful, and free with a capital F in your life and business. As a lot of y'all know, I spent the last couple of weeks in Columbia and came back from Columbia back to Austin, Texas. Then I flew out to Nashville to hang out with some buddies and do a mastermind with like 25 people. And then I drove down to Atlanta, Georgia, because my buddy had a ticket front row for a Zach Bryan concert in Atlanta. And so I just went and watched that last night, then flew back to Austin. And here I am still operating my business wherever I go. So If that sounds interesting to you and you want to leave your nine to five job through real estate and business acquisition so you can operate your own business anywhere in the world, book a call in the show description for the Action Academy community. It's the spot where all the cool kids hang out. Anyways, today's episode is non-traditional, but very, very cool. Uh, This guy is not making money through real estate. He's actually making money through a publishing company, a self-publishing company to be exact. And that is none other than my buddy Chandler Bolt, who is bringing in, drum roll please, $13 million of top line revenue with his company, selfpublishing.com. Chandler's claim to fame in his entire business model is the old system of writing books is archaic and outdated. You have to have massive email lists and celebrity status to be able to get a book deal. And then it takes like a year to a year and a half. And what he does and what his team does is they take um, everyday guys like you and me and everyday entrepreneurs, anyone that has a story that they want to share with the world, and they help them self-publish their book. So they have kind of this a la carte service where they'll help you write the book, create the draft, uh, distribute the book, do the marketing for the book, position it on Amazon, basically everything that's involved step-by-step from front to end with launching your own book and becoming a published author. Disclaimer, I am not getting paid as an affiliate for Chandler or for selfpublishingschool.com, but I am using him, um, so I'm a paying customer. So this one is for free, Chandler. After this one, maybe we can create a partnership. But anyways, today's podcast is amazing and very, very tactical in the weeds. We talk about who should write a book, why you should write a book, how to write a book, the entire process of creating the outline, the mind map, the draft, the process that it looks like to self-publish, to publish traditionally, what the revenue split looks like, how do people make money from books, how much money could you make from a book, how to utilize your book as a business card for your business to launch it into the stratosphere, and basically every strategy, nook and cranny that you need to become an author and build a big old business on the back end of it. So with that, we will get into it. And as always, guys, remember that this podcast is not free. You got to pay the fee. Share this episode with at least one person that you think would get value from it. 
Por favor, please, and thank you. Now, without any further ado, Mr. Chandler Bolt. Chandler Bolt, what's going on, buddy? Brian, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Dude, it's so funny how you and I met, and it's just funny how Austin, Texas works in general. So I was playing... So this is the most Austin story ever, from front to back, because I was playing pickleball with my buddy Aaron Amuchastegui. So that's already another Austin thing. And I was like, hey, man, I'm thinking about writing this book. And he's like, dude, I had this guy Chandler come to my real estate rock star's mastermind. He's like, you need to speak to him. I'm buddies with him. You should speak to him. And I was like, absolutely. So I did that. And I was at another event with Sam Parr and Noah Kagan and all of them. And that's when you and I met, man. So it's just crazy. It's like a big city and a small town at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Even, I guess, maybe a layer deeper that is Sam was literally at my house last night playing pickleball, <laughs> which is yep. how we met. <laughs> and so it's yep. just a bunch of worlds colliding. Full circle, man. So I'll let you introduce yourself to the audience and what you do currently today, because you've got quite an interesting business. Yeah. So I've run a company called selfpublishing.com. I'm a college dropout and C-level English student with ADHD turned publisher and author. So I've written a few books. We've, with the company, we've published about six, sorry, not 6,000. Now we're up to 7,000. So 7,000 books in the last eight years that we've published personally with our authors that we can track. We've been on the Inc. 5,000 list a bunch of years in a row and Forbes 30 under 30, all that stuff. But really it's the byproduct of what we believe in, which is changing lives through books. We believe that books change lives. They change the lives of readers and they change the lives of authors, right? And we help do that. So I want to dive into the economics of the book business in the back end and then how you started the book business even further than that. But first, I think that your messaging and your niche is pretty unique. And it's interesting to me, and I'm curious about your back-end beliefs on diving into the publishing industry, because I feel it's almost like the return to vinyl records right now, where vinyl records for the first time since like forever ago are outselling CDs, because nobody buys CDs anymore, but now there's a resurgence in like the traditional medium. So I'm curious, why should someone write a book and why are books, like actual books, the best medium out right now? When you have podcasts, YouTube, all these different mediums. Yeah, I think there's two levels of belief for me. There's the personal belief, which is I dropped out of school, but I operated as if I was still in school with the way I was learning, but I turned my learning to books. Mm -hmm. The smartest, most successful people on the planet have written a book. And all we have to do is pay 15 bucks and spend a handful of hours and we can learn all the best things that they know. And I call it a $15 mentor. Right. So I realized that I realized that. And then I started reading books on the specific problems in my business and I watched my business explode. So that was the conviction for me behind the business and the conviction on books as a whole. And then on the flip side, I saw it both launch the business in the early days. It helped us go from zero to $1.32 million in the first 11 months off the back of a book. But then now to this day with my new book published, like this book Mm -hmm. has generated millions of dollars in sales for my business. And so I just believe that a book is the best way to grow your impact, your income, and your business if you have one. And it's a way to do work once. You you do that work, you put it into a book, and then that book goes on to impact thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people. And more importantly, maybe for the business-minded people, <laughs> is that it brings back sales, leads, and referrals. Right? It's a million-dollar business card. Uh, it's the thing that you can give out as if it's your business card, but instead of people throwing it away, they keep it, and every time they see it, they think of you. 
That dude, that is so interesting, and I completely agree with you. So, there's a lot of people that are listening to this, and this is probably the biggest objection that you overcome in your business, and that's why I'm leading with all of this. Is there's a lot of imposter syndrome I feel around being an author or writing a book. There's a lot of limiting beliefs to people saying, "Oh, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to write. I was a C student. I was a C student in college. I was terrible at writing." I don't know how to teach what I do, or I don't feel like what I do is special. So who should write a book today and why should they write it? Yeah, I think if you want to grow your impact or if you want to grow your business or maybe just leave a legacy for your kids and grandkids, I think you should write a book. And the big encouragement that I would give to people is you might think, Two big excuses, kind of like you mentioned, is we'll hear, hey, I don't have time or, the, it's, hey, the timing's just not right. Like later mm-hmm. this year, next year, year after that. Um, <laughs> just like the gym, and, right? Yeah. And so people say, hey, either it's not the right time or who am I to do this? I don't know. I don't know what I'd write about and who am I to do this? And it brings me back to, I, I mean, I was in Boy Scouts growing up and I remember going on a camping trip and we had to sling our packs up into trees and we're hanging our packs up out of trees. And I asked my scoutmaster, I was like, how, why are we doing this? <laughs> That's because there's bears in the woods. And I said, what if we see a bear? And he said, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a tongue in cheek thing of, hey, you don't got to outrun the bear, just outrun your friend. And I think that's the way I see a lot of, of book stuff for people is you don't have to know everything. You just have to know a little bit more than the person that you're teaching. And people might not resonate with a book from Tony Robbins or Oprah or someone like that because it feels unapproachable, but they might say, oh, I relate to Brian. And so that's the only book that I'm going to buy and read this year because I relate to Brian. And so I think uh, that that's like that would be my encouragement for people who are thinking, hey, who am I to do this or is the timing right? Let's go ahead and knock out the other big bugaboo too, which is one of the ones that I originally had a limiting belief around, which is I don't have an audience. I don't have an audience. What if somebody is listening to this right now? And this is probably most people that I know that are killing it, that are the rock stars of the world, especially in the real estate industry. They just tend to fly under the radar. They're doing massive things. They don't have a podcast that they're running. They don't have distribution. They don't have an email list. They don't have marketing. And they're like, oh my God, the idea of creating this book. A, I don't know how, like the process of creating the book. B, how do I distribute this book? So walk us through that process. Yeah. So what I would say, I launched my first book when I was 19 with no audience while I was dropping out of school. And so that's the good news is you don't have to have an audience to successfully launch a book. Now you're going to have to put a lot of elbow grease into it. But for me, it was using the book to build the audience, right? Mm. And so, that, so it's a, we always say a book is like this key that opens the door to Narnia, like Chronicles mm. of Narnia style. <laughs> it opens the door to this magical world that only exists for published authors. And there's a bunch of things that happen where whether it's PR, whether it's TV, newspaper stuff, like all this the, uh, was, uh, early on in my business career was a local cheat code is, hey, there's local TV, newspaper, all that stuff. They need articles. And it's a lot easier to get those once you've become a published author. And the topic is your book, not your business. Now, the book is about your business. So really, the topic is your business. But the thing that you're leading with is not your business. And so I think we've specifically with real estate investors, gosh, we've helped launch so many different careers or just grow so many different careers I was just speaking last week or the week before at Ryan Pineda, his live event out in California, and a bunch of people decided to work with us because they saw how we could grow their real estate investing business. Like we've had Hayden Crabtree wrote a book called Skip the Flip, Mm -hmm. used that 
to create a software company, use that to create courses, use that to get investment funds. Another one is uh, AJ Osborne. I think it's like the ultimate the investor's guide to, to self storage to making money through sto- uh, self storage. Yeah, I'm um, about to say AJ. that book's done really well. If I've got my numbers right, it's over a hundred million that's been raised since publishing that book for his funds. I think they've got. I forget the exact numbers, but it's it's hundreds of thousands of square feet, if not millions. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but just so many people, especially as we're talking in the kind of the real estate world, they use that to put their name on the map and say, Hey, I've been doing this thing quietly for a long time that nobody knows about. And now I want to make that public and I want to use that as a platform. Walk us through for somebody that's listened to this, I've actually done quite a bit of research and I've actually talked to your company. So I will be using you guys to write my book. So I'll go ahead and give that a teaser to the audience here because guess what? MFers, I do have a podcast. I do have distribution. So let's rock. <laughs> so let's walk through because people are listening to this and they understand conceptually, right? They understand, oh, like Brandon Turner's of the world, Bigger Pockets, like they write those books. You have James Clear writing Atomic Habits. So you have Goggins writing his book. Like you have all these different books and all these different authors that like that book puts them on the map and they're on all this Oprah. Yeah, he's got, he's holding up Atomic Habits for people listening. <laughs> and it's just like everyone wants to create this like magnum opus of like, this collective, the next great thing. What process does this even follow? So walk us through a traditional publishing route. If you were to go with a an actual publisher, get a book deal, what does that process look like? And then what is the self-publishing process look like? And what are the pros and cons of each? Yeah, great question. It used to be the only way that you sold books was to get into bookstores. The only Mm -hmm. way to get bookstores was to have a publishing deal. Only way to have a publishing deal was to have an agent. Then you got to shop around, get a deal, all that stuff, right? And so that's the traditional publishing path is you get an agent, you shop around, you get a deal, you hopefully get an advance, you write the book, you publish. They don't do really any of the marketing and that's that, right? But now over 70% of all books sold are sold on Amazon and other online retailers and you don't need a publisher to publish there. So the big advantage that used to be was distribution, right? Now you don't need publishers for that. And so it's self-publishing has become the preferred option for most authors, right? There's certainly still the prestige, quote unquote, of a book deal, which really only matters to a handful of people. The end reader doesn't know and doesn't care because it's a small little line on Amazon or wherever else. And so self-publishing, you get to keep the rights and royalties. You get to move faster through the process. You can save a ton of time through the process. You make a whole lot more money from the book. You can use it in strategic ways that you don't have access to if you're traditionally publishing. So we believe that self-publishing is a much better option. Obviously, I run selfpublishing.com, so I'm biased there. But what our goal is to really invent the future of publishing, which is combining the best of the two. Because the downside to self-publishing is like, all right, you're doing it all yourself. A lot of work. (laughs) And so in some ways, there's that, all right, can I just pass it off to a publisher and have them do the work? And so that's where what we try to do is that final mile of publishing. So cover design, formatting, ISBN, upload, SEO, like all the stuff to get distribution. And then we have the author say, hey, we're going to coach you through writing a great book and then how to actually sell a whole lot more copies of that book and use that book to grow the business. But we're going to do a lot of the hard work, but then not take any of the royalties. So you own it, you keep the rights and royalties, all that stuff, which is the benefits of self-publishing, but then the quality publishing experience and stuff that's done for you, similar to the way it would work through a traditional publishing company. 
Yeah, and the reason I'm asking these questions in order was I, when I was asking them myself as a customer, I was keeping track because I was like, knowing me, I was like, I'm going to get Chandler on the podcast himself. So then I'm just going to take him through because this is just softballing it, man. Because by the time we get to the end of this podcast, everyone's going to be like, okay, I want to write a book. All right, let's do it. So let's walk through the actual, like the dollars and data here. So what's a normal percentage royalty? What does a royalty look like for a traditional book deal versus self-publish? Because I know you said that you get to retain more as the self-published author. Let's, author, let's go over the economics yep. of that. Yeah, so economics are you'd probably be somewhere between 8 to 12% on average royalty on your traditionally published book. And then if you're self-published, it'll be somewhere between 20 to 70%, depending on the book, the format, all that stuff. And so really what that equates to is a dollar, maybe two bucks a book, if you're lucky on the traditional publishing side of things, and two to five, six, seven bucks a book on the self-publishing side of things. Again, depending on the format and all that stuff, but that's the ballpark. And then what's a normal, I know this is going to be a very, it depends answer. Of course, it's mm -hmm. going to be completely across the board, but you probably know what I'm going to ask next is what is good, what is great, and what's to be expected? Like a bare minimum, hey, you squeaked by here on your release with copies sold. This was enough to make it worth it, but you yeah. squeaked by. What's an average? What's good? What's great? What's holy shit? You knocked it out the park. And we talk in self-published, traditional published, or both? Self-published. Yeah. So self-published, believe this or not, the average self-published book sells less than 100 copies. <laughs> I believe that. I, on thousand, I completely here. believe that just because there's hundreds of thousands of podcasts with less than 20 episodes. So a lot, most books sell less than 100 copies. Somewhere in the 1,000 to 10,000 range is very solid. Anything over 10,000 is very good. Um, and that's a stat actually that translates over to traditional publishing as well. So mm -hmm. 10,000 copies of your book, that's a six in the eyes of the publisher. That's a success. Now, unless they gave you a massive advance, which they would only do if you had a big audience, then maybe it's, it's less, it's less of a win for, you know, there's the economics, but most of those books don't sell a ton. And so I look at it as almost like venture capital investing, right? If you're familiar with that, it's all right. They're going to place 10 bets. And the economics are that seven of these businesses will go to zero, two to three of them will be decent base hits. So they might double or triple their money. And then one of them is going to be a unicorn, right? And so that's going to be a 10x, 100x kind of return. And then that's how they make their money. Same exact business model with publishers, with books, right? It's the company that it's, this, it's the quote unquote company that they're backing is the author and the books. Most of them don't do that. There's one or two that pop and that's how they make all their money. Now, I was just doing the math on that in the back end. And what it's looking is if you're making like $7 a book, which you said it may actually be low, but if you're making $7 a book and you said 10,000 copies, that's $70,000. But that is also on the front end. So you said something before that some people may have glanced over, but knowing you guys as the audience, I'm assuming you didn't. The purpose of a book, and for most of us that are writing this book, is not for our sons or our daughters or our grandkids to know that we existed. That may be part of it. I think the big part of why we're all writing a book is we have a back-end business that's attached to it. Yes. That we're using this as, I like how you said, it's the best it's the best business card available that doesn't get thrown away in the trash. So $70,000 a top line from a 10,000 from 10,000 copies and then plus if you have a coaching service a mastermind you just said you made 1.3 million off of the release of your book for your book publishing company right in year 1 yeah in year 1 okay and this was with like zero to moderate audience as well correct 
Okay. There we go, people. Do you feel like making $1.3 million a day? Results not typical. <laughs> results, yeah, no, yeah, prior past performance is not indicative of future results. No, but seriously, it's just like how I view it is you don't want to half-ass three things. You want to whole-ass one thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and that's how I view the book writing process too. So I've gone about it like pretty methodically where it's been like 1,000 words a day or 2,000 words a day. Can you walk us through the process, like a pretty tried and true process for writing a book for somebody that says, hey, I don't have time to do any of this because I guarantee you guys, I don't either. You don't. Ryan Pineda doesn't. You know who else doesn't? Alex Ramosi. Alex Ramosi doesn't have time in his day. Brandon Turner doesn't have time in his day. James Clear doesn't have time in his day, but they make time because look at how their lives have changed from these books. Now, I know this is binary. It's not either like it's a complete failure or like the best selling book of all time. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of gray in between. But let's walk through a pretty predictable process that people can follow so they can listen to this podcast and say, okay, I know how to dissect this elephant and eat it one bite at a time after listening to Chandler. Yeah, great question. There's, And I know most people can't see this, but there's eight milestones to writing and publishing a book. If you go to the my book page on Amazon, it's the book's called Published. You can see the image that I'm holding up right now. There's eight milestones. The first four is what you're alluding to is, hey, what's the process? I call that the more writing method. More is an acronym, stands for Mind Map, Outline, Rough Draft, Editing. So the more writing method, that's really the starting point for most people. So the one very practical thing that people can do right after you finish listening to this episode is take 15 minutes and mind map everything you can think of on the topic of your book. So you're mind mapping. And so that's step one. Then you turn that mind map into an outline. So you start to organize your ideas into groups or sections, order those in the order that you want to cover them in the book drill down about three chapters per section. Now, all of a sudden, you got about a 15-chapter outline that you can use to write the book. Then you write the rough draft one chapter at a time. And like you alluded to, some people want to, uh, they don't want to eat the elephant one bite at a time. They want to just buckle down for a weekend or for a week or something like that. And they want to really make some intense progress by either speaking the draft one chapter at a time or writing the draft one chapter at a time. And then some people want to take the elephant approach or the 20 mile march, which is, all right, I'm going to write a thousand words a day. And if you do that for 30, 45 days in a row, you've got 30, 45,000 words. That's but just a normal book for people yes, listening. Exactly. Exactly. So we have this thing, we call it the 30 day rough draft challenge, but it's essentially that it's all right. Two times a day for 30 minutes, you're going to write. And you keep that streak going for 30 days. If you do that, you will likely finish a rough draft or get pretty dang close. Guys, I need you to pay attention to what Chandler's saying. So if you guys are still sit, sitting with us right now, it means that you have an inkling of an idea to create a book. So I'm going to say you on the process right now. All right. So Chandler, feel free to hire me for my services after this, buddy. <laughs> so guys, what he's talking about. So when we create this, when we create this rough draft and this outline and this mind map, so you put all of your basically brain dump on paper. Now you're going to organize all of this stuff topic by topic, section by section, and then you begin filling in these content modules, essentially. What is this, right? Now you not only have an outline to a book, but you also have an outline to an online course, all right? And what else do you have? Now you have content. And now you can go make content on each one of these pillars. So now not only do you have a book written out of all your best information that you can put out as the best possible business card that nobody's going to throw away, but now you also have the bones to make your online course. 
and to make content and build your distribution on that book without having any additional thought to it. It's all written out. It's all my mapped out. It's killing like 20 birds with one stone. Like you're murdering an entire forest with a rock. <laughs> like this is how I view it because I did the thing. Like I, I did that. Like I did the mind map, I did the outline and all that stuff. And I was just like, okay, this is similar to my course. And I actually did it backwards. I created the course first and I did this whole process with that. And I was like, holy crap, like this is actually technically a book too. Like I like that. There's a couple yeah. of things I feel like we need to be implementing the business right now. Yeah, no, it's perfectly fine. So it's like when I did that, the way that I thought about it was I was just like, okay, like now I could take all of this and I can build this into the actual content itself. And then you can ride off into the sunset. I like Alex Hormozzi's kind of quote on this. And I'm curious about your perspective on this. Some people may be hearing what we're talking about today and they may say, okay, I want to write a book, but let me make sure I don't put my best stuff in the book. Let me make sure I save my best stuff for my business on the back end or my paid course and my paid mastermind. What are your opinions on that? I've got very strong opinion on this. I'm curious about what mm -hmm. yours are first. Yeah. So my opinion is give away all of your best stuff for free <laughs> and the book yeah. and people will pay you to tell it to them again. Yeah. It's a book is your first impression. It's a virtual handshake. And what happens, especially in the, we're talking in the real estate world is you teach all the process and people read that say, wow, that's really impressive. I'm tearing through a bunch of real estate investing books right now. So I've see, seen this firsthand, but okay, that's really impressive. And B, I don't want to do that myself. I either want your help doing it or I want to pay you to do it for me. But that starts by giving away all of your best stuff for free. And then people, you're legitimate in their eyes and they want more. Yeah. And that's been my favorite answer. Perfectly, Alex Ramosi. He says, make your free stuff better than other people's paid. Right. So I wanted to go ahead and squash that limiting belief before somebody starts writing a book and they are trying to pull the punches. You should be nervous about what information you're giving away. If you're writing a book and you're not becoming nervous about all the secrets that you're giving away in the book, you're writing the wrong stuff, I believe. And so I agree with that. I was curious about your perspective on that, because here's the thing. And I tell people this all the time. It's twofold. One, one side of the coin is if you like you give the information away for free, you sell the implementation, right? So that's the kicker is like people aren't going to do the thing. Like they need help with like the execution, the accountability, the implementation. So that's why we have this podcast. And another like the other side of the coin is if you're looking at all these gurus online, right? Anybody that's hiding all their stuff behind a paid wall. Like that's pretty much a pretty clear, that's a clear indicator of who's worth their stuff and who's not. Because anyone worth their salt is giving away all their best stuff on YouTube, on Agreed. podcasts, yeah. everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. So one of the big selling points for me personally was the speed of publish. Can you talk about what the process looks like from a time perspective for a traditional book deal versus self-publishing? Yep. So typically, if you're traditionally publishing, it's going to make it, it's going to take a minimum of two to three years to publish from the time that you get the deal, <laughs> which getting the deal might take, who knows how long that'll take. That could take years. Now, self publishing, on the other hand, it took, it could take a year. It could take a decade or decades, depending on how self disciplined you are. Obviously, like that is the advantage of traditional publishing is as soon as you sign that deal, you got a manuscript deadline. And so we see though, with people that we help, it's somewhere between nine to 18 months on average is the ballpark. Now, certainly people do it faster and some people take longer than that, but our goal is to save people hundreds of hours in the process. So templates, checklists, 
press a couple buttons, get a 25 page pre-formatted Google doc that you can start writing into that has all the stuff that you need, just things like that where time's money, right? And especially if you're a business owner writing a book, every hour that you save in the process is worth 20, 50, $100, maybe more than that, right? And so our thought is how do we save as much time in this process, help you write a better book that sells more copies that, and that grows your business? Yeah, I love it, man. I think you guys are offering a really cool service. And this isn't even, I'm not an affiliate. Yeah, I don't know if you even have an affiliate program. But this is just like completely for free because I just believe in what you guys are doing. And I've been like a customer of it. Whenever I go through something, like that's when I talk about it on the podcast. That's when I invite you on the podcast because it's like I went through the thing. Same thing with masterminds or coaches. I don't talk about anything that I'm not doing. Why did you make this your business, man? Like, why publishing as your business? You're an entrepreneur through and through. We can back it up a bit if you want to talk about your like kind of your entrepreneurial roots. But of all the businesses to create that are sexy tech companies and service businesses and all this stuff, why publishing, man? Yeah, I just saw firsthand how it changed my life as both a reader and a, and an author. Books changed lives, and they, and I saw how they changed lives of people close to me, and and so. It was, is, I think a lesson for people here is I was dropped out of school. I was working on a business that was totally failing at the time. And was that this business? Asking a, what's that? Was that this business or a prior different business? business? Different Got business. Different business. Right. So it was totally failing. People kept asking about the book stuff because I published a couple of books. They'd done well. And it's like, you can only have somebody smack you in the face so many times before you turn around and look and you turn around and look and there's this whole line of people that won't help with that thing. So it started unintentionally. It was, I would just get on the phone with people for an hour, tell them everything I knew just to be a nice person, <laughs> right? And say, hey, good luck. Hope this helps. And I did that a bunch of times and then said, hold up, maybe I should be charging for this. <laughs> yeah. And so then we created, you know, what ultimately now is self-publishing school. And we took that first cohort of people through the process and then they had a bunch of success. So then we said, okay, we can get behind this and I believe in this. And so let's push this a lot more. So that's my books. And then I feel like I've just fallen, I've fallen more and more in love with it over the years because just realize how much it's amazing. We get to help people do this thing that will then go on and impact thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people. I call mm -hmm. it leveraged impact. So we get to help people who are helping a bunch of other people, which just amplifies the impact that I'm able to make and that we're able to make through the business. And selfishly, the smartest, most successful people write books. Mm -hmm. And I have a really good skill set. <laughs> and my company has a really good skill set that I can get in those rooms with those people because when they're ready to write a book or when they just published or whatever, we can say, hey, you need help with this and we're really good at this. So let's talk and they'll take my call. Whereas otherwise they probably wouldn't. I like your business model because it's selling a couple of different things like subliminally, like at its core, like what you're doing is you're selling like status and speed, right? Um, which is like the best things to sell. Uh, you go yeah, back to the old really Jim Rohn point. quote. Yeah, you go back to the old Jim Rohn quote. Like, how do you like, how do you get anything you ever wanted is help enough, help enough other people get everything they ever wanted at scale. Right. And so what you get to do is you're taking something that you're like, hey, Throughout human history, like the writers of books, like those prevail. Like you, that's always going to be there. That book, that piece of you that's left. So that's status. And you, there's still a status attached to being a published author. Author, it's still sexier than being a podcaster unless you're in Austin, Texas. Now, if you're in Austin, Texas, I can tell people I'm a podcaster at a bar and then it's not as weird of a look as it was in Atlanta. But yeah, and you're helping them do it faster. So you're buying people's time back. So what's your top line revenue today? 
Yeah. So we'll do about 13 million this year. Woo! Hot damn. Oh, man. Walk me through that process, man. So when you started up this company and it was just you, what was your growth plan? What, like, how did you go about hiring team? When did you know it was the right time? Walk me through the kind of the scaling process. Yeah. So I think we were pretty fortunate to scale early on. Now, okay. there was definitely that in the desert first year and a half, which was, I think we profited 86 grand. It was me and two business partners at the time. And so we all profited about 15 grand each. And it's just that so little money that the IRS is, you're good. Don't <laughs> even worry about filing. <laughs> Your CPA you says, are you okay? Line. Are you okay, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But so that was year one, but then really year two, which is in this type of business, which is year one for self-publishing school, that's when it exploded. And so early on, we started to scale. And I think it's because I learned a core lesson, which was sell, then build. Mm. My first business, or not my first business, I'd ran a few businesses, but the first online business, uh, we built a product that no one wanted. And then we tried to sell it and no one wanted it. <laughs> and we spent all this time, money and energy building the product and the funnels and all the stuff. Wow. But no one wanted it. And so we said, hey, when I did self-publishing school, I said, all right, I'm just do this different. We're going to sell it and then we're going to build it exactly to what our customers want. So we were just fingers on the pulse of what our customers wanted, what they were willing to pay for, what was helpful, what was valuable, all that stuff. And I think that customer first ethos from the very beginning helped us grow a lot. It helped us grow a lot. And that combined with just really good sales and marketing chops, I think accelerated the business pretty dramatically. And then people in process just over the years, that's, I've really focused on those two things, the systems and SOPs and really great people. And so we've got an incredible team. That's the comment that, that people most frequently make, which is your team's awesome and friendly. They're uh, genuine, they're kind, like we just treat people well and we have a lot of fun with it. And it's a high energy, fun culture. And so people stay there, they perform at a very high level. And then we use systems and tech to put leverage behind them um, so that they can pr produce disproportionate outcomes for our authors and for the business. And then as a byproduct for themselves. It's interesting that you mentioned the failure before, which is it further reemphasizes the point that failures aren't failures. They're just, unless you don't learn from them. If you learn from them, then it wasn't ever a failure. It was just a lesson. So what was that first business that was the problem that nobody even wanted to solve? What was that? Yeah, it was a productivity course because I wrote a book called The Productive Person. The book exploded. It was making a few thousand dollars a month in, in royalties and built an email list of 4,000 people and we had no product to sell. So we had the opposite problem. Most people, we had an email list with no product, whereas most people have a product to sell with no email list, right? And so we said, hey, what's the next logical step? Let's make a productivity course. No one wanted it. <laughs> and it's, it's not a real problem for most people. They're not productive, but they're not trying to, they're not looking to solve that problem. <laughs> yeah. think it's other things. And it just wasn't working. And I'd done businesses successfully before that. But not in the online space. So I was like, all right, this is way different. And so then we just had to learn, how to start with the customers, sell them, build, kind of all those core concepts.
Yeah. And that's, so we were just talking about Sam Parr. So I want to still have him on the podcast. He hasn't been on yet. I just interviewed Neville though. Y'all's other buddy. That was yeah, the copyright. Yeah. 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 I interviewed him, but he, you know, he mentioned something on my first million, which is a podcast you guys should check out that are listening. But uh, he mentioned when they were going through, he's just get revenue as fast as possible. I don't care if it's a hundred bucks, get revenue as fast as possible. So how my business started was, like I said, it started as a course. It was a 12 week course. And I was in Brazil. It wasn't even, I didn't make the course yet. Course wasn't done. So what I was started doing was basically customer research. So what you did that worked was the MVP model, right? Minimum viable product. You got it out there, you shipped it fast, you let the customers give you feedback, and then you improve and iterate. So I did that. I was just doing free 15-minute coaching calls um, over and over and over again. People are just telling me, hey, here's my problem. I'll solve their problem for free. And I'll say, hey, I've got a thing coming. I'll fi- I don't know what it is yet. I'll let you know. So then I was like, I'm going to create a course, 1500 bucks. I'm going to send it out to all those people. 40 people signed up. And I was just like, huh, I should build this course now. <laughs> and then you hold on to that because the, yeah. the revenue is that people exactly vote. What we did. Yeah, people vote with their pockets their and with wallet. their attention. Yep. Yeah, they will they tell you what problem. They're lying. <laughs> um, yeah. Or they're not lying. They want it to be a good idea. Maybe they think it's a good idea, but it might not be an idea that's worth paying for. Right? So how do it's people do this the wrong way with, your, with their wallets? Yeah. How do people do this the wrong way? They ask for feedback. I, not, not, it's not asking for feedback. Here's what I'll say. And if you don't have a bit, if you don't have customers, you don't have a business, you have a business idea. <laughs> a business is not a business until you have paying customers. So how most people do this the wrong way is they go get a logo they go get a trademark or a LLC URL and a URL and all that stuff. That does not, for the most part, help you get your first customers. You mm-hmm. need a person and a credit card. <laughs> Those are, that's what gets you your first customers, right? And so anything besides that is a distraction. And so that's where I think most people just really mess this up is start with the need, the, the problem that people have that they know that they have. This is kind of, it's actually, Ironically, similar to a framework I teach in my book is the four P's of a best-selling book. It's the same four P's of a high converting product is person, pain, promise, price. So who's the person, the specific person that you can solve a problem for with your book, or in this case, with the business that you're trying to start? What's the pain that they have that they know that they have? This is not a pain that you know that they have because that doesn't matter. You might know that, let's say they got a problem with back pain. You might know it's their posture. And so you want to come in talking about posture. They're like, I don't care about posture. I have back pain. And so what's the pain that they have that they know that they have? And then what's the promise that you can make with that book or with that business that's valuable to them to where they're willing to pay for it? And then what's the price that they're willing to pay for that thing? And so that's how I look at it and reverse engineering that and starting with the person, finding the pain that they have, what's the promise that you can make and then the price that they're willing to pay for it. I love that, man. And there's a really excellent book on this called The Mom Test. Yeah. I need to get, I've been trying to get that guy on the podcast. I can't find his freaking email. So I've just been tweeting at him like an idiot because I can't find his email. His name's Rob something. And he, but the, yeah, the mom test is basically like the same premise of you go to your mom and say, Mom, I've got this business idea. Can you give me some, can you tell me if this is a good idea? Terrible way to go about it. Because Chandler just said, when you guys are pitching to your friends and family who are inevitably going to be your first people, if you lead with, hey, I've got this business idea. Can you give me feedback on it? They're just going to be nice to you. What you need to start is say, hey, I'm doing research on this thing. Can you help me with some research? And then you ask them about the problem. And like for me, 
it was like helping people transition from corporate to entrepreneurship, like quitting their job. So I interviewed 30 people that had just left their job recently, 30 people that had left their job within the last five years that were already very financially independent, 30 people that were in the process of leaving their jobs. I interviewed 90 people. And over those calls, I was just like, hey, what problems are you running into? I didn't even mention I was doing a business. I just was like, what problems are you running into? This is like problems I ran into. What problems are you running into? And I just was like, I told him I was making it for a podcast episode. And that's where I got my feedback. And then they'll actually give you unbiased feedback. And then on the back end, you do your thing. So that's freaking awesome, man. You've, like built, like you've, built, an, you've built an amazing business off of it, man. That's just, it's really cool. Your entire business model. I want to hit, I would be remiss if we didn't hit about your early bids into entrepreneurship. I want to hear this story about the, about your parents and like their retirement accounts. Tell me about this story. Yeah. So there's been multiple times in the business where I just pushed all the chips in the table. I'm a, I'm, this is not for most people, <laughs> No, but I am very much a burn the boats and push everything all in because then you have no option but to succeed. And because uh, failure is not an option anymore. So when I dropped out of school, it was about 18 months later, I borrowed $15,000 from friends and family to try and get the business off the ground. All of my bank accounts were negative. And then that was when we launched and it went well. And I was on the brink of failing at dropping out of school and having to move back in my parents and all that stuff. So <laughs> that was V1, version one of that experience. And then V2 was about a year in. And I showed up to an offsite and found out from one of my employees that my business partner was trying to kick me out of the business. And <laughs> what? And I'm like, okay, one of us is buying the other one out. That's just what's got to happen. And then the other one's going to run the business. And so we went through mediation and all this stuff and ended up negotiating a multiple six-figure buyout. The business was just hemorrhaging cash at the time, but I had a strong level of belief that I could turn it around. And I borrowed, I went multiple six figures in debt and borrowed money from multiple people, including my brother, Hal Elrod, who wrote a book called The Miracle Morning. And then Small book, uh, small book. <laughs> yeah. And then my, my parents out of their retirement. And it was, I mean, that was a bet the farm. Okay. I'm not losing my parents' retirement money. And that's when it got real, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think the lesson learned, there's a few, there's way more lessons learned than I have time to cover in this podcast interview. But I'd say, number one, there's no such thing as 50-50 partners or 50-50 effort, right? There is all, there should always be a majority partner. Okay. And so that's when I learned how to go through the buyout process. But just, I really do believe that the power of having a singular decision maker is just, you can be in partnership, but have a singular decision maker because it speeds up decisions. And you could have certain domains, right? Where, hey, I make all the decisions when it comes to X, Y, Z. You make all the decisions when it comes to ABC. And we can collaborate, but you got final say, right? And I just noticed how my business sped up uh, when I bought out my business partner and how accountability ramped up because there's nobody else to blame. I'm not, I've read the book, Extreme Ownership. It changed my life because I realized, hey, I can't blame it on my business partner. I can't blame it on my employees. Guess who hired all those people? Me. Me. <laughs> so if things aren't going the way I want them, I'm the problem. And a mentor of mine, Michael Hyatt, he always challenges me with this question, which I love. He said, Chandler, what about your leadership led to this result? <laughs> what if you don't like something in your life or in your business? What about your leadership led to this result? 
because you were responsible for this outcome. And so that's the crazy story. I ended up paying off my, I paid off all the debt. I was just talking about this. I was back in South Carolina with my family and I was, <laughs> we were reminiscing on this. It was like, man, we thought you were crazy and we're sending you money out of our retirement. <laughs> yeah. And you're paying us interest on the loan. And, <laughs> and, and it was, but I ended up paying them off 11 months later and got all out of debt. And it was a magical feeling. But it was what's some what's some advice? First, I'll first I'll give a super quick story, and then I want to ask some advice on this. Peter Thiel is like one of the founders, so he wrote the book Zero to One, which I'm sure you've read. He talks about all about the minimum viable product uh, kind of strategy that you talked about, where he says just ship your idea out fast, get customers, get revenue out the door, figure it all out, plan, iterate, do V1, V2, V3, all that good stuff. So for his thing, Y Combinator is where the most prestigious startups go through. So like their like fellowship is like a big deal in the startup world. And their thing is they like to see two or three co-founders for a company to make sure that it has legs. So that was my original thought, but I'm doing this, my business by myself. And so I actually interviewed Matt Mashari, who is the CEO coach of Brian Armstrong from Coinbase, Naval Ravikant. Like he was their CEO coach. And so he's like a massive CEO coach in Silicon Valley. And he goes... The only reason he's they just like seeing that to make sure that you emotionally make it through. He's but honestly, if you have like just a really good coach or even a freaking therapist, <laughs> it's, it's better to just not do the co-founder and not do the partner and just yeah. do it yourself. So I'm curious about your perspective on that. Yeah, I think it, it, the part it is good for is entrepreneurship is very lonely. Correct. And so you want to feel like someone's in it with you. And that can be really important in the early days. And I think in the context of why they bet on multiple founders is because often they want someone who's convinced a technical founder to join them. Because if a technical founder has said yes, that's almost one early vote of confidence where they mm. say, all right, you're maybe the business guy. You've got a technical co-founder. You're both all in on this. It's also, it's free labor. You've got two to $500,000 a year worth of labor work in this business, probably for no pay or little pay. So the mm -hmm. odds of success in their mind are, I'm sure, higher. But if you can do it, I love solo founding. Now, it's not for everyone. and But if you do go into partnership, make sure that person has complementary skill sets. That's yeah. so important. So yeah. many people that I see go into part, they go into a 50-50 partnership with their clone. <laughs> so what value are you guys adding to each other? <laughs> it's you're both great at the same things. That's not valuable. That's not a partnership. You need to be good at very different things. So if you do it, shouldn't be 50 50 and you should have different skill sets. And then at some point, like I have a lot of partners in my business, they're just my employees and they have profit share or they have incentive comp. So they have upside for sure. And it's an amazing thing. But if they stop performing, there's not this long tail equity thing that's, oh, two years in, they stopped performing and now they're gone and now we're still cutting them checks or we got to buy them out or there's all this messy, complicated things. It's tied to performance, just like I believe my pay should be. <laughs> sure, I'm an owner and so I will continue getting distributions up until the business fails or sell it or whatever else, but that will be a forever thing. But my pay as an employee, because I'm also an employee in the business, as a CEO and head of marketing, is that should be tied to performance just like anybody else. And so that's how I look at it. No, I completely agree. And that's super helpful to even consider and think about just throughout the entire process. There's so many different ways to skin the cat, man. It's just yeah. who's going to last the longest. And for me personally, with my coach, I've got a coach I meet with weekly. 
So he's already scaled a couple of businesses like you with like Michael Hyatt. I, he's already scaled a couple of businesses like that I want to do. And so he guides me each week. And as I mess up, I'm able to fail a lot faster because then he's, oh, yeah, he's, I know you messed up here. He's let's walk through that. And here's how we fix it. I'm like, OK, <laughs> I was like, I feel better now. Like, we've got this. Heck yeah, brother. Where can people find you and find out more about you guys, what you do? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking. So two best places to go if you feel like this was helpful. The first place is grab a copy of my new book. It's called Published, The Proven Path from Blank Page to 10,000 Copies Sold. You can get on Amazon or audiobook, physical copy, whatever format you prefer. Um, Also, you can go, if you go to (laughs) publishedbook.com forward slash, oh, check that out. There we go. Got it. Nice. I know a lot of people can't see this. Is Brian holding up his copy? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I just realized I had it. I was like, oh man, I completely forgot. It's like right here. (laughs) I created the link for folks. You can go to publishedbook.com forward slash audio published. Like I published a book.com forward slash audio. You can get the audio book for free on that page. So that's my gift to you. I figured if you're listening to this podcast, you probably like audio content. So you can check out the audiobook there or go to selfpublishing.com forward slash apply. Book a call with my team if you're interested in chatting about your book and what it might look like to work with us. Rock and roll, man. It's going to be exciting to, when we have this thing launched and when I've got my book out and rock and roll from there, man. Chandler, yeah, thank hey, you so much for what you do. And thank you for coming on. We'll bring you on the Self-Publishing School podcast. Dude, Dude. say less. Say less. I'll be on there, buddy. All right, buddy. Appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you for having me. With that, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Chandler Bolt. Brian, your host, as always, with the Action Academy podcast, signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.